Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Now, any of our listeners who frequently use social media will likely have come across some of the work by our next guest today on the Sandro Forte podcast. Tim Hyde is an award-winning CMO who specializes in social media marketing, acquisition, and brand strategy. Tim has worked for Lad Bible, particular favorite of my son, Tom, and his ex-social chain head of campaigns, but now runs his own social media marketing agency, TWH Media. As someone very much out of the loop when it comes to technology, classic Gen Xer, I'm particularly excited for today's podcast with Tim, uh, not least because I'm sure he's going to drag me screaming and kicking into the real world of understanding when it comes to social media. So Tim Hyde, thank you so much for being a guest on the Sandro Forte podcast today. Hey Sandro, great to meet you. Thank you very much for having me. And, and there you are in sunny or not so sunny Manchester. Uh, let's, let's dive straight in because we've got loads and loads and loads of stuff to find out about you today, Tim. Your background, first of all, I mean, you're a young man. I can, I can get away with that because I'm 52. Um, you know, you're a young man, but you've achieved, you know, a fairly extraordinary amount in your uh, fairly limited uh, career. I say that because I've been doing it a very long time. Uh, and I'm envious of the fact that somebody who can be as talented as you squeezes so much uh, amazing stuff into such a short space of time. So let's start with the background and then I'm going to start picking your brains on uh, how you became so successful. Amazing. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Um, I don't know if I would define myself as very successful, but, you know, we'll, we'll take that. Um, I suppose, yeah, a little bit about me. Started off life at the Lad Bible, was the 11th sort of employee there. We grew that Facebook page from sort of 1.8 million likes to 10 million likes in 10 months. Um, grew the daily traffic from sort of 1 million clicks to 5 million clicks a day. And we're just very fortunate to sort of be at this hotbed for social media, really early on sort of understanding how to leverage the various algorithms to sort of not only generate awareness and views on our content, but also to do that for brands as well. Um, when I was 19, won the company's employee of the year and then moved on to an agency called Social Chain, uh, which IPO'd last year. Funnily enough, I was also employee number 11 at Social Chain, which is the only reason why I remember it. No, I don't go into businesses asking what member of staff I am. It's just the way that you remember it. Um, Social Chain was incredible, you know, an incredible team around us. Um, but we grew from um, 11 people to 80 in our first year, opening up offices in Manchester, London, New York and Berlin. Work for a lot of the biggest brands in the world, you know, Spotify, Apple, Adidas, Puma, Amazon, Google. Um, you know, we did the top nine branded live streams of all time. And that was just an amazing period in my life where not only were we learning, but we were also sort of pushing the boundaries of social media. And the reason why I say, you know, we were very lucky a lot is because a lot of the things we were doing, we, you know, they just hadn't been done before. And it was just about pushing the boundaries, refining strategies going, oh, so if we did X, what happens if we did um, that again, but change this one thing, and then we improved it, and then you improve it again. And I think that, you know, sort of incremental um, improvement sort of strategy is, a, you know, a great way to sort of look at social media. Um, yeah, long, long kind of story short, had an amazing time there, but got offered a really cool role 
at an agency called Agency TK. When I was 21, they asked me to look after a third of the agency globally. So I got to work between Leeds, London and Los Angeles. That was amazing um, because not only did I you know, want to have experience in, in social media, but I got to look after TV, radio, SEO, PPC and social media, really understanding how you sort of amplify a, a creative message, which I think is, is what my skill set's best suited to. Long story short, they, they broke a few promises. And so for the last sort of four and a half years, I have run my own kind of mini social media marketing agency. Um, have worked for like Adidas, DreamWorks, UFC, Optimum Nutrition, putting together sort of marketing strategies as well as running their performance marketing. I think I've spent just over 50 million pounds on Facebook and Instagram advertising, generating sales for, for brands all over the world. Um, yeah, so that's that's probably me me in a nutshell. Sorry for for taking so long on that intro. Uh, I bet you see, I've just discovered the difference between you and me. At the age of 21, I've got a massive student overdraft. I'm scratching around trying to work out what the heck I'm going to do with my life. And you're like global head of sales. <laughs> uh, that, that was the reason right there in a nutshell why I wanted to speak to you today. Um, I'm going to ask you a fairly open-ended question to start with, not least to help my understanding of social media, because I still can't get my head around it. Um, and I know this is a, a, a slightly... Um, uh, yeah, this is a question I think to which a, a lot of us know the answer, but are businesses, Tim, almost obliged to to build an online presence now in order to be successful? Does it, is, is, a, is it a necessary part of um, progression for a business in today's world? Well, I think, you know, the pragmatic answer to that is, you know, it's a channel that has a very low barrier to entry. So therefore, you know, SMEs and, and even obviously bigger businesses that can reach millions of people from their, you know, homes or, or from their offices, uh, it, it provides for phenomenal value for them. But I don't think it's essential for every business, you know, the, the line of work you're in, wealth management. And, you know, I think that that as an industry is about, you know, um, educating people on what you do, your specific USPs, getting, you know, sort of um, getting more conversations and generating almost leads from, from social media platforms. Whereas, you know, you've got other verticals where it is very much direct response. You can spend millions on advertising and, and tracked and generate millions and millions in revenue, which is obviously a, a great proposition. So I think, you know, for a lot of people, social media provides phenomenal value. I think you can, you know, build and create and curate amazing communities and amazing brands on there. But at the end of the day, it's just where people's attention is for the last five, 10 years. And I'm sure over time, whether it's other social media platforms or other mediums and, you know, as we, as you know, life has been shaped by COVID, I'm sure other things will emerge out of that. But I think, you know, if you look at social media, it's almost like real estate. It's just where people's attention is. And therefore, there's a huge value on that, being able to capture that attention. Um, and, I, you know, I don't see that changing, certainly for the next five, 10 years. Do we underestimate its power, the power of social media? Because, you know, I, I'm somebody who's kind of stuck in the dark age. It's a bit of a dinosaur. But even I recognize, you know, you've mentioned some of those brands, Adidas, uh, um, Optima Nutrition. Um, some of the numbers that you were you were churning out just now, I mean, are staggering. So uh, is it is it something that I think most of us underestimate, Tim? I don't know. I, I suppose it obviously it depends who you speak to. Um, you know, I think we're all fairly aware of the power of social media, whether that's, you know, feel good stories on, on Good Morning Britain. Um, I think um, you might not have seen this because it was more of a Northwest thing, but um, I think two Labradors got robbed outside of a um, Marks and Spencers last week. And there was this huge, you know, social media kind of campaign to get these dogs back three days later, 
because everyone was sharing it, you know, all the images, the owners have their two Labradors back and there's millions and millions of charity stories, feel good stories, but also marketing stories, you know, people building businesses, very similar to Lad Bible and Social Chain, which started in their bedroom. And, you know, they're now reaching millions, if not billions of people on a weekly basis. I think that for me is, is really, really exciting. I think probably a, another way to answer that is, I think we've also got desensitized to numbers. You know, actually, if you think how big a billion is as a number, but because that's thrown around so often now, billions, trillions, you know, the US getting getting bailed out in, in trillions, it, it's sometimes hard to comprehend actually how many people have social media. You know, I think Facebook has, you know, two point something billion accounts opened which, you know, there's what, 7 billion people on the planet. You know, that is an absolutely insane statistic. But mm. I think we've almost become desensitized to things like that because the numbers of all the social media platforms, you know, Snapchat has like 400 million users, Twitter, a couple hundred million. But you don't even think that's much because you're comparing it to, you know, the behemoth of Facebook and Instagram at the billions. So mm. I think people are aware of how powerful, but I definitely think there's a lot more education that needs to go on of, how to actually best use those platforms for you know your desired goal? Well, the uh, the former president of the United States obviously saw the power of social media because he had his own Twitter account, which was I still can't quite get my head around. Um, so let me let me turn this on its head because you've touched on a couple of things which lead nicely to something that's floating around in my mind and something I want to talk to you particularly about today, Tim. And that is, you know, would you say therefore that social media is in some respects becoming too toxic because? You know, very recently, we've got an awful lot of trolling going on. Um, you know, there tends to be a lot of commentary around prejudice and racism. Is it too much of an open platform? Does it allow people too much freedom? And therefore, by definition, is it becoming too uncontrollable and too toxic? Yes and no. Um, you know, I think that, you know, it, it, it's undeniable that the racism, the trolling, the abuse, the hate, to be honest, that there needs to be ways to, um, you know, get, get rid of that, to be honest. But I think what I would say the mass consumer doesn't understand is actually that, you know, the solution isn't actually that straightforward. If you look at a platform like Facebook, you know, they remove millions and millions of posts manually through algorithms every day that's either hate speech, racism, child trafficking, messages that are going back for back and forth that are potentially, you know, terrorism problems. There is so much bad stuff that, you know, people don't even see. But then obviously, you know, say you look at a platform like Twitter, one of the reasons why they haven't monitored that platform as, you know, probably as, uh, as closely as they probably should have is because one of the, the USPs of the platform is anyone can set up an account and, and have their voice. So I think what, what is tough answering a question like this, there isn't a right and wrong answer. I think, you know, it, it's not difficult to say that something and more needs to be done to stop hate speech. And to be honest, even to stop cancel culture, I think one of the difficult things, um, you know, in, in society at the moment is we're struggling to have real conversations. You know, I'm sure me and you will have different opinions on, on various different things. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. Whereas at the moment, because of the, you know, 140 character sort of society, if you don't agree with me, therefore you're a bad person and you're wrong. And I think that's nearly as bad as some of the trolling that's going on. I think if you look at football specifically, you know, the racist abuse that players are getting, it's horrendous. And, you know, whether it's um, the FA, whether it's the PFA, whether it's the platform themselves, it needs to be way more than a campaign to stop this happening because, you know, young black people, young people of um, various races, genders, you know, female footballers are getting so much abuse 
um, and they don't deserve it. It, it. You know, it's awful. So I think to, to sort of half answer your question, more definitely needs to be done. But I don't think anyone, including the platforms themselves, has that actual answer. Um, which, you know, it, it is a tough one. So hopefully it's, it's a problem that we'll have and consistently as a society, but also the platforms will keep making a dent in it because it's not going to go over go away overnight. I, I'm sitting here in awe listening to a, a, a young man, and that sounds patronising, I don't mean to be at all, uh, listening to a, a young man talking so articulately and eloquently about his subject. And I was thinking, gosh, uh, going back 25 years, what, what did I sound like? Nothing like this. Um did you wake up one day when you were like 14 and go, this is it, this is a, this is the career path for me? Or did you kind of fall into it? I, I definitely fell into it. So I'm, I'm massively passionate about sport. Big, big Liverpool fan, like my rugby, big American football fan, big basketball fan. Do you mean, not just your, your typical, oh, I love football. Um, so I always wanted to be a sports journalist. That was, that was my kind of dream. So I did internships kind of throughout my, my teenage years. Um, and then after I did my A-levels, I went on to do my NCTJs, which are like your national journalism exams and worked as an intern for a year. So they paid for the course and, and I worked for free, which, yeah, was a was a rude awakening, you know, straight after after A-levels. The, the real world can be can be pretty harsh, but um, I was just very lucky. I ended up interviewing um, the COO and COO of Lad Bible because there's a graffiti artist in Manchester called Axie, who's now actually really famous. But at the time, he'd done some Breaking Bad artwork in the Northern Quarter. Um, and we covered that story, um, you know, amazing kind of mural. Um, but it was just around the corner from where there was a meth lab. And, you know, this story absolutely blew up. He then painted, it's like an old Louis Vuitton ad um, with like Pele and Maradona playing um, um, table football. And that was spray painted in the Lad Bible offices. So I sort of knew Axie a little bit, asked him where this was. He wouldn't tell me. I sort of used my, you know, um, intuitions of, to find out where it was. I think this was ooh, 2013, 2014. Um, couldn't believe that Lab Bible had an office. Is you know, I just thought it was a Facebook page. Didn't you know? Didn't think too much into it. Found out it was this thriving business, and you know, a couple months later, they they offered me a job. So very very lucky. And that you know that um, period in my life really just highlighted not only the power of social media, but also the you know. The, the fun that you can have with it, um, which, you know, I still kind of enjoy today. I've determined you're also the master of understatement. I knew Axie a little bit. What a fantastic one-line comment that is. I knew Axie a little bit. Um, so this is the moment of, of today's podcast where my researchers either get a massive pat on the back or they get sacked. So a little bird tells me that you became Lad Bible Employee of the Year just after joining the company. Is that right? I did indeed. Yeah. You know, that that's still an award that I'm very proud of. Um, you know, there's been a lot of amazing people that have been through that business. And, um, you know, you look at the acquisition of Unilad, I think two years ago now, it really is a, a media behemoth. And, um, you know, it, it taught me a lot. You know, it was my first proper job. So, learn, you know, it was a real learning period for, for me during that time, but also some people that um, helped me, um, you know, develop as a human. So, yeah, great, great award to have. Um, but yeah, no, just uh, just one of those things. That you you, you strike me, you strike me as a very, very modest man, Tim. Um, but let me just put you on the spot a minute. Then thinking about your Employee of the Year award, you know, in, a, in an organisation which is, you know, got some gravitas now in terms of social media. What do you think uh, led to that award? What what led to that recognition? In other words, 
what skills do you think that you have that set you apart from the other if that's not putting you in the spot too much? Certainly back then it was hard work and, and I have to say, um, and I'm sure, you know, because I'm sure some of them are still there, um, the environment really bred hard work, you know, we were passionate about what we were doing. I think what's also was great for me was I could see the difference of you putting in those hours, um, you know, out of hours time, researching, you know, finding new stories, finding stuff to put on social that kind of incremental advantage paid off massively over a long period of time uh, or well, to be fair quite a short period of time but um yeah that that hard work massively and um that that's really set the table for kind of everything i've i've done since is that that work ethic you know it's, it's kind of funny looking back now i definitely don't actually work as hard as i did back then you know i, I like to think i work a bit a bit smarter but i think it's just that that hunger to improve yourself that hunger to um, probably prove yourself as well. Um, and, and actually, I think my, some of my success at Lab Bible came because I couldn't believe I was getting paid for a job that I actually enjoyed. You know, my internship was really tough. I had absolutely no money. You know, couldn't afford a beer at the pub sort of levels of, uh, you know, levels of finances. Whereas, you know, I didn't get paid a lot at Lab Bible, but I actually had money. I enjoyed the people I was working with. I was treated really well. Um, and that was, a, you know, looking back, it was a, it was a great period of time. So conversely then, any obstacles or challenges in a relatively short career? Um, oh, massively. I, I, I got fired from that Bible two months after I won that award. So, you know, that that was... Talk about, talk about leveller. I know. Um, you know, I, I, I have to answer this question a lot. You know, I think I was really embarrassed for the first couple of years. Um, still, you know, don't think it was probably the right decision. Um, from them but again you know a lot of people have, have been and gone from that business but you know I certainly wouldn't be here today if that hadn't have happened um, you know I was I was emotionally distraught I put my heart and soul into that business but I think you know in, instead of just blaming those people it, it's a case of well how can I improve myself what did I actually do wrong you know categorically my opinion is you know, it was a ridiculous decision. However, you know, there would have been some even however minuscule grounds for that. So, you know, in, instead of just complaining, I think self-awareness is one of the most important things you can have in business of, right, okay, I wasn't good at that. How can I improve that? Or, right, if I was in that situation again, I would do that differently. And I think that's just, you know, how you learn as a person um, and, and whether that's, you know, some of the technical things behind paid media, social media, or even just how you conduct yourself within meetings in the working environment. You can't just go, oh, well, that's not fair. It's a case of going, well, it might not be fair, but how can I improve myself? Because, you know, you're actually in control a lot of the time, um, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like that. So, yeah, that's that was definitely probably the toughest time in my career. But again, then got very, very lucky to, to get a job at, at, at Social Chain and that more than anything was kind of where my career took off. So I, I guess what I heard then in, in summary was kind of the perspective um, allowed you to develop as a person, you know, the, the good and the bad, learning from the bad experiences. And, and I think, as you rightly said, you wouldn't be where you are today without that experience behind you. So it's about reflecting, learning and then moving forward rather than reflecting and possibly looking back or or um, adopting this kind of apathetic approach where nothing happens because you spend the rest of your life blaming others for uh, uh, for what's going on in the world. So in terms of um, social media influencing, just want to come back to that because it's not often we get somebody on the show that has your, your skills and your talent. So social media influencing, again, do people underestimate that? What, what can we do 
for those like me who don't really understand it, what can we do to, um, you know, help ourselves in business and indeed in life? You mentioned earlier on, for example, that, and I think this is an important point, I kind of recognise as somebody who grew up in the 80s that communication was very much a person-to-person thing. Now it's very much um, mobile telephones, it's, it's platforms. Are we losing the art of communication? Um, uh, yes and no. Um, you know, I think that there's great ways and, and, and there's probably a hell of a lot more ways to communicate with people, whether that's, you know, WhatsApp, SMS, social media posts, email. What I sort of suggest to people is, you know, making sure you tailor that message that's specific to the platform. You know, no one necessarily wants to read a 5,000 word essay on an email on an, on an iPhone, you know, that that is problematic. So how can you tailor your messaging sort of solution to fit the, the platforms that you're on? I think the other thing that you have to um, understand is that people are also different, but also they've never been easier to sort of access. So how can you build a plan or sort of accumulate touch points where you're getting your brand or your business in front of the right people in, in the right way? That that to me is, is, you know, marketing in its most basic sense. So I think more than anything, maybe face to face, we've certainly just been in the UK in a lockdown for the last year. Um, I, I was actually very lucky to be in Dubai for, for most of January. And certainly for the first sort of 10 days, I was like, I can't believe I'm around real people. Like I just sort of felt, you know, I felt like a child again. It was like, there's people that are in front of me. Um, and I think, you know, over summer this year, hopefully we're all going to go back to that, that you know, our, our social skills and how your, you know, your body language is and how you interact with people on a day-to-day basis is almost going to have to relearn a bit because we've just not necessarily had that for, for, for quite a period of time. So um, I think, you know, communication is always evolving. You know, the way we communicate, the platforms we communicate um, on um, it, it is always going to evolve. And I don't necessarily think we've we've lost touch with it, but there are, are also a lot of examples of, of people doing that badly. But I think there's also examples of people doing that really, really well. Mm. So some of the most, we call it viral, don't we? But some of the most kind of viral content online always has this kind of organic, almost authentic feel to it how how do companies how do you achieve um the content or create the content that that goes viral and what are the secrets to it well um you know i think i think the the term viral is now quite a broad term um you know for, for some people that could mean a couple of thousand views and for some people that could mean a couple of billion views um and depending on you you know your size and budget that that context is always important I think it really depends what your what your objective is. You know, there, there's a lot of viral, you know, tweets, posts, reactions to things that that really do go, you know, viral because again, you know, time relevance, authenticity, funny, they're making that user feel some sort of emotion. They're all, you know, huge levers that, you know, um, make something go viral, if you like. But at the same time, I think it's also very difficult for you to construct a framework of if you do these things you're going to go viral there is that kind of matter of luck in there and you know when we talk to brands normally we kind of go right we're definitely not going to make you go viral what we can do is put you in a you know a position to be successful so we can do all of these things we can piggyback on x trend we can um, ensure that the content does make you laugh or is you know within a specific framework of x and um, that all those things is what you can control. But at the end of the day, you know, I think um, looking at it from more of like a performance aspect, 
when you're looking to sort of say drive sales, you've got brands that will spend hundreds of thousands, thousands on amazing imagery, perfect video, amazing, you know, photos of a product. And it will be a grainy shot on an iPhone that a customer sent in that will perform way better than anything else. And I think that for me is one of the great things about the internet is it's not as linear or as black and white as if, you, you know, this one image is or one video is going to go viral or not. It's all about testing, learning, putting yourself in that, that position to be successful. If you are successful, right, how can you do that again and refine it? And, and that for me is, is the kind of overarching strategy for social media that, that most people seem to adopt and, and have success with. It sounds to me as if I don't need to give you a platform, you need to give me a platform. But um, obviously we do have a lot of subscribers around the world. And since you and I have both traveled, we've got, we've got that in common at least. I know you've traveled a lot, I've traveled a lot. What's your, what's the favorite place you've ever visited, Tim? Ooh, um, favorite place I've ever visited is Banff in Canada. So like Lake Moraine, Lake Louise. Um, yeah, just probably the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Really blue lakes, mountains, fresh air. Just, yeah, like the sort of place that you have to sort of pinch yourself. I think my favorite cities always will be New York. I love the energy. I love the yeah. architecture things like that. But, you know, walking around those lakes in Canada is just for me, yeah, the, the epitome of beauty. How about you, did, you? You didn't have a pair of skis on at the time, did you? No, I've never skied, actually. I've done a lot Are of you? things, but I've never never skied. So that's that's certainly on the on the bucket list. I think, you know, living in, well, Cheshire, but, you know, Manchester, yeah. northwest of England, anytime me and my partner want to escape, it's, it's usually for warm weather, um, just because we don't get a lot of it here. So, Normally, the, those sorts of trips, even in the winter, we tend to go to the Middle East to sort of top up the top of the tons and get some vitamin D, rather than you know at Presky and get very drunk on a. On a <laughs> I think my favourite place is Vietnam, actually, to answer your oh, question. Wow. But um, Ho Chi Minh City is still, to me, I think probably the best of the lot. But um, New York will be up there, uh, Toronto will be up there. But anyway, we'll have that conversation another day. So I want to ask you a little bit, just briefly, about what you do. Because I want I want everyone to be very aware of what you do. Because one of the questions we ask our guests is, so how do we connect with you? Which is a pretty pretty dumb question to somebody like you. Uh, because from a social media perspective, if you're not very visible, then uh, there's something seriously wrong. But in in asking you how we connect with you, Tim, um, just tell us briefly about what you do now, so we're very very clear. Yeah. So um, I say what, you know, I specialize in is, is putting together, you know, social media and brand strategies. Um, and so understanding, you know, someone like Optimum Nutrition, looking at the marketing mix, all the various channels, you know, influencer marketing, paid media, organic social media, email, how all those channels really interact with each other and putting together sort of a solid foundation for brands to then, you know, basically execute themselves. But more um, from a day-to-day -day perspective is, is running a lot of paid media. So that's like Facebook, Instagram advertising, that's TikTok advertising, Snapchat advertising, and using those platforms to basically distribute content to drive sales for people. So um, sometimes that's cost per lead stuff, sometimes that's cost per install stuff, but a lot of the time that's um, generating revenue um, for brands, lotteries. Um, and the great thing for me is I don't think of myself as a very good salesman, um, but because you're able to attribute on the most part sales, I can actually tell a client, you spent a million pounds this month and you made 10 million pounds from this advertising. And that sort of black and white nature, I think is, is great for me. Instead of having to come up with a sales pitch, you know, if we're doing well, the numbers are telling us we're doing well. If we're not doing well, right, what are we doing to change that? But, you know, you can't hide from that. And I think, you know, especially in a, 
in an industry where a lot of people have been confused, I really sort of enjoy that accountability and, and transparency. So final question before we ask you the final question. Um, with your crystal ball and all of your knowledge acquired to date, where do you see social media going in the future? We've talked about a few of the challenges that social media present, um, not least you know, the, the art of or lack of communication, uh, particularly in the, the younger demographic, uh, trolling and some of these other things, but all of the amazing things that social media creates at the same time. Where do you see social media, uh, marketing, uh, virtual platforms? Where do you see it going in the future? More of the same? in a different direction? Do you see a bit of a pegging back? What's going to happen? I don't happen? think they're going anywhere. I, I think that's you know, a fairly a fairly safe answer. Um, I definitely think the growth will probably slow down. You know, We are starting to hit close to the critical mass of, of people that, that actually want to use social media platforms or have the, the necessary sort of internet connections and, and, and things like that. I think that the biggest and most impactful kind of next step, I think, will be compliance and how the platforms are governed globally. Because I think the other tough thing to remember is, you know, you say, oh, you have to do this, but technically, yes, Facebook is an American company, but they're also global. They have lots of bases, different places, you know, various different tax loops, all that. So, you know, what governing body can really get in their way? Same, same with Twitter, same with, you know, even LinkedIn, which is Microsoft. What businesses can actually put the clamps on some of these businesses? And if they do, what other platforms will emerge? So, you know, and kind of half answering your question, I think if a lot of rules and legislation comes in to um, affect the user experience of some of these social media platforms, I definitely think that new, um, you know, dark platforms, if you like, will, will emerge and, and will generate a lot of traction. Um, it will certainly depend on, on where you know, where, where the world goes as well. But I definitely think, you know, we're, we're consistently seeing more spend on social media, TV, um, radio, traditional advertising. Mm. We're still seeing the dilution of that spend go into digital, whether that's, you know, Google, Facebook, Instagram, all those different platforms. But um, I think it's it, it's an exciting time because where there's there's a growth area, there's, there's always opportunities for, mm. for people like me. But I definitely think, you know, in its most broad sense, people will continue to use social media but I think their habits will certainly fluctuate, um, you know, depending on age, what they actually get from platforms. You know, I use Twitter a lot because I get my news from it, but actually don't post on Twitter very much. And I think we're all starting to sort of tailor our habits around the platforms rather than, you know, just using a platform for, you know, how the, the co-founders sort of envisaged it. Yeah. So we didn't quite uh, deal with how people connect with you on social media. So is it just at Tim Hyde or is there... Yeah, um, stolen your name at at Tim Wilhide. Um, so yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, feel free to, to give me a follow and, and drop me a message if you have any questions. I think you know probably the easiest one is is Tim Hyde on LinkedIn. Fairly active on on, on that platform and enjoy conversing with people all over the world on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, if you you know want to follow me on there, um, absolutely go for it. Fabulous. Final question then, Tim. Uh, the one we ask all our guests kind of difficult to ask such a young fella as you but let's imagine you're having a conversation with maybe a 15 year old version of yourself and he said want to follow in your footsteps uh you you know you've done some amazing things you've handled some challenges in your life but overall if you could give me one single piece of advice to success in life or business whatever success means to, it's different things to different people of course uh but if you give me one piece of advice what would it be 
I think, you know, work hard and trust yourself, you know, trust the process. Um, you know, it's not always going to be a, a linear straight ride forward. You know, there's going to be ups and downs and everything that you do, but I think backing yourself and, you know, being confident in, in my conviction and, and the decisions that I make has, has been important. I think that's, you know, very easy to say that sitting here now, but again, you know, trusting the process, continuing to work hard, those aggregated gains from working hard really do benefit you over a, a long period of time. And, you know, that, that trust in, in my, my decisions will, will pay off. So yeah, that's probably what I'd say. Good answer. Very good answer. Tim, it's been fantastic talking to you today. Um, I'd love to go on talking some more. Maybe we'll do that offline, but um, it's been you know, a real eye-opener for me. And I know I speak on behalf of a lot of people when I say that to you, because uh, it's always good to have a guest that isn't just somebody who shares their life experiences, but can add some real uh, meaningful content in terms of our understanding of what's going on in the world. So um, you've ticked both those boxes today. And I do thank you on behalf of everyone listening all around the world and um, look forward to catching up with you very soon. That's very kind. Thank you so much for your time.